Okay, we are at Parshas Bishalach. We are at Parshas Bishalach, which starts. It starts at chapter 13, verse 17. Parakid Gimel Pasuk Yud Zion in Shemos. You ready? We got it? Okay, easy to find in the Chayenu, harder to find in the Tanakh. Everybody, you know, Parshas Peshal. The first one who finds it, let us know what page it is. On this? In that one? This, the, this is 13. No, 78. Yeah, everybody, everybody's got to figure this one out on their own. In the blue books, in the blue book, Sydney, it's page 367. This is impressive, I was able to see that. Hello, hello. Okay, so Parshas B'Shalach, the biggest thing in Parshas B'Shalach, here's a spoiler, is splitting of the sea. Splitting of the sea, right? We got Nach, we got a lot of stuff going on. Um, I believe that you guys were dealing with Az Yashar in Hasidus class. Okay, so we're not going to deal with it in great length, but we're gonna, we are going to touch on it a little bit. Just because how do you not talk about uh, not talk about as Yashir, but that's not really we have a lot of other things that we are able to talk about, so we're gonna do that. Okay, so our parsha starts off, Ha'am. It w- and it was when Paro sent out the nation, Hashem did not take them out the regular way, he took them out a little bit of a more complicated way. Why? Because Hashem was afraid that the people will see war and be afraid, and they will go back to Egypt. Now, before we move any further, I want to stop on this passage because it's crazy, okay? People have been, uh, they've been in Egypt for 210 years. It means all of these people who are leaving were born in Egypt. They were born into slavery. They had, what did we say last, last week? We said maybe they, had a, maybe they had a year of respite from terrible, terrible slavery. The, the hardship of Egypt was the last... Uh, like 85 years, right? We know Miriam, Miriam who's the oldest of Miriam, Aaron, and Moshe, of the three siblings, she was called Miriam because slavery was terrible. Her, her name comes from Mar, from Bitter, and, and her parents named her Mar because it was so bad. It was so bad. And isn't it a crazy state of human nature how quickly we would forget that? And people would still, Hashem, Hashem, who knows, who knows us very well, still is like, eh, I'm not so convinced that they're going to not get scared and not want to go back. And sometimes we talk about the things, the pain that we know is more comfortable to us than something new that might be better. Um, and, and Hashem is acknowledging that and he's saying, okay, let's not go this way. Let's go a different way. Let's go some kind of roundabout route, not the short, you know, if you look at the map, like from Egypt to, to the land of Israel, it's like a straight line up. It's not a big deal. And Hashem's like, better not. Let's better not do that. So, so that's one thing that I want to, I don't want to get back to that for a second, but before that I want to say, well, not before because I already said it, but we know that in Chazal, the word vayihi is always considered a bad terminology. It's called Lashen Tsar. It's painful. Right? How does the Megillus Esther open up? What is bad about the Jews leaving Egypt? What's bad? Why do, why do we use this expression of it should have been like 
here, you know, but that's not what it says. And so the so the so the all the chacham and the medrash. So the medrash actually says, which in the craziest thing, he said, "Who is the bad for? Who is the bad state for? It was for Paro." Medrash says it was for Paro. That Paro, as as I mean, this is not the medrash's terminology. This is my terminology. But as dysfunctional as his relationship with God was, he had a relationship, and Paro knows. That when the Jews leave, that relationship is over. He's not going to have Moshe coming to him and saying, Hashem said you should do this, and Hashem said to do that. And, and the Medrash says that it's, Paro is like feeling the loss of the relationship that they had, which is yeah. crazy. <laughs> should we say that's a little bit crazy? Um, but, but if we're going to be honest with ourselves, I mean, we do that all the time. Or maybe not all the time, but some of the time. There's some time we stay involved in something that isn't super healthy because, because we're getting attention. You know, as parents, we know that, uh, you know, not, not, there are sometimes that the, when the kids are like misbehaving, then that's, you know, it's, it's a cry, we know it's a cry for attention. And the question is, how do we give attention to the kids who are not crying out for attention in such an obvious fashion? Um, and one of the things I talk about, like, you know, parenting theories is celebrate the behavior you want to see more of, right? Celebrate the behavior that you want to see more of. So we're going to take a reverse lesson from Pyro and say, like, if the only attention he was getting from Hashem was getting smacked down, and that was all he knew, well, in our lives and in our relationships, can we celebrate the things that we want to see more of? Can we say... This is a relationship I want to foster. This is a relationship I want to be involved in more. And how do I do that so that it's not that I'm just going for, for negative attention, which is, I think, very, very important and, and perhaps very applicable to all of us. It's definitely applicable to me. So I just assume everybody else is in the same page and wants to hear the same stuff. The other thing that's very interesting about this opening pusik, and we will move off the opening pusik in one second, or two seconds, is the Jews who left Egypt were not a monolithic group, okay? So you had people where Moshe said, we're going to serve God, we're going <coughs> to the promised land, and they're like, yeah, we're in. And then the other people, and then we know there were the other people who were like, eh, no, right? So we have, last week we spoke about how in the plague of darkness, 80% of the people who didn't want to leave didn't, right? But then we have a middle ground of people over here where... Egypt isn't so bad now, but but Paro's kicking us out, and therefore we need to go. And those are the people, perhaps, that Moshe is going to be most, the most fragile group that is out. Because the people who are like, yalla God, let's go, you don't, not that we don't have to encourage them, whatever, but like, they're on the God team, but the people who are only there because Paro didn't let them stay, that's going to be a much more complicated situation, and that's going to perhaps influence a lot of the stuff that we're going to see in this parsha um, about what's going on. So that was that was, I think, was something very interesting. Um, the other thing, which is also stam, like as a stam, as a you know maybe a life lesson for us, is that very often we see things happening in our lives, and we're like there's a better way to do this. Why is Hashem making my life look like this? Why am I going from here to there to there to there? I just need to go straight. 
Um, one of the things my husband and I joke a lot is that I learned Kabbalah soul from Waze. <laughs> right? We're like, we've, we've argued with Waze a few times, and we always lost. Like, there was always a reason that they were taking us to some random crazy side street. Right? Um, uh, and, and in a way, you know, if we could look at that and say to our lives, like, there are sometimes we're like, I know how to go from here to there. I know how to get from my house to the airport. Why are you putting on ways? Because maybe something's going on. And Hashem is ha- he's leading our lives in a way. And we're like, there's got to be an easier way to get to where I need to go. Like, you want to have a relationship with me? I want to have a relationship with you. Could we not make this smoother and easier? And Hashem's like, this is actually the best way for you. And like, but I don't understand and I don't see it. And this is what the Jews, this is our first, the opening of our Parsha is saying, trust the process. This is Rochelle's been walking around the house all, all this whole week saying, trust the process, trust the process, right? That um, we're, we only have a limited vision about any given situation. And so while we wake up in the morning and we try to make the best choices that we can based on the information that we have, at the end of the day, the route is not up to us. And we have to be able to say, Hashem, I know you got my back. I know you understand me. I know you know what's best for me. I'm going to follow. It would be so nice if you could show it to me. Really? But like, I'm going to trust you. And really, this is all stuff that we're getting right from the beginning of the Parsha. And we have the whole conversation about them leaving. And that, so this is the beginning of our of, of Bishalach. And one other thing that I, I do want to talk about is that this is really the completion of the Exodus. Meaning they left a week ago, not just on our calendar, right? They're gonna to come to the dead, they're gonna to come to the Red Sea, or the Sea of Reeds more accurately translated, seven days after leaving Egypt. They had their Pesach Seder seven days ago in, in Egypt, plague of the firstborn going on all around them. They're sitting in their houses, and now and then they leave, and then now we're gonna we're getting to uh, we're getting a week later to when they're actually going to get to to the to the sea and until they're on the other side, it's, it's still emotionally touch and go for them. Not so much physically, but because Hashem's with them, but it's a little bit touch and go. Um, and so they all, so now, so they start to go, and it says that Moshe takes the bones of Yosef with him in verse 19, because remember we said, he said, when we leave, take my bones with you. Um, one of the things that the Rebbe talks about, and other commentators also talk about it a little bit, but that, we, that the bones of Yosef is not just his bones, but atzmut, the essence of Yosef. The essence of Yosef is going to go with the Jewish people. And as they're going now, they're crossing into the desert and it's uncharted territory. One of the things that they're going to actually need is this essence of Yosef, which is the ability to be in not friendly surroundings and stay true to who you are. Right? We know like... The whole situation with him and, and the wife of Potiphar, he was 17 years old, he felt abandoned by his family, he was not in, a, in an environment that was fostering good moral choices, um, and still and still, he was able to make the right choice. And it's interesting, the Medrash tells us, and jumping ahead a little bit, is that when the Jews were at the banks of the, of the water, and Hashem said to the water, uh, remember when we... When I created you and I said there's a, that you're being created on condition that when the Jewish people come, you're going to split and let them go through. And 
This is my take on how the measures. I'm sure it didn't go down exactly like this, but then, but Tigazun, but um, but the water says to Hashem, uh, these people, this is not those shining, beautiful souls that you showed me are going to need to cross the water. These people are idol worshippers. These people are. I'm not splitting for them. And God's like. You know, and then the, the measure says that the water saw the, co- the coffin of Yosef. And they said, for Yosef, if he's here, we're going to split. For Yosef, we're going to split. Because the people on their own, they didn't, they were not at a level where the water was, like, you're right, the, the beautiful shining souls that Hashem showed, you know, before creation was not the, the souls that had made it through 210 years of slavery in Egypt, and not just physical slavery, but a little bit of getting Egyptified a little bit. Um, and and, and the water, you know, the measures tells us that they, they cross, some people cross the sea with idols in their pockets. Like, it was not like this beautiful, you know, we talk about that they were on the 49th level of, of impurity, and like, these are people who were definitely a work in progress and not the beautiful shining souls that the, the water saw. And yet when the, when the water saw Yosef, and, and, and the Mepharshim talk about the idea that what was it about Yosef, exactly this thing, that in the place of incredible, incredible challenge, the expression we use for, for Yosef was that Vayana Sachutza, he runs out. He runs out, he runs away from her at great, at great uh, cost to himself, as we know he ends up in jail for all those years. And the water, the expression that's used for the water is that the water is also Vayanas. The water runs back and it's, it's, it's sort of a homage to Yosef and say, okay, if they are capable of having this essence in them, this essence of rising to the occasion of having great mysterious nefesh that's going to somehow rise up, okay, then, then we got a conversation going over here. Um, but I jumped the gun a little bit. Stung, different random conversation that the Rebbe asks about this is like, why Yosef? Like, Moshe was there, Aaron was there. These were, like, fine, upstanding tzaddikim. Like, why weren't they good enough to, like, say, oh, the water's like, oh, you got Moshe on your team, fine. No, no, that wasn't good enough for the water. And the Rebbe talks about the idea of Mesir Snefesh, the idea of, of having to have that struggle in real terms and to overcome it that's what they actually are going to need. And that's what they need for the redemption. Then in order to be able to get to where they need to go, they need to have, uh, you know, they, they need to have the energy of Yosef, not just Moshe, not just Aaron, but can you really be in a hostile environment and really pull it together? And that's, that's sort of like what we do have. We do have that essence of Yosef, you know, in our, in our DNA as well, and that we can call on it uh, when needed and just random segue to segue to segue, it's like I, I, I've been thinking a lot this week about, you know, what is Hashem waiting for, which is not 100% on the Parsha, but I'm still going to put it out there. And I feel like all these things that he was looking for, you know, Monsieur Snefesh and Achdus and all those kind of things, like we're acing it. We're really acing it. And whatever he needs to do to split the sea today, make this gula happen, like, yalla, it's not going to get much better than we got now. So, like, we're pulling it together, we're doing the best we can, so that's my bracha to the Abishar, like, we're, we're ready to sing shira, we're ready to, like,
to be to you know to praise you and to sing sing thanks and yeah that's all I want to say about that okay okay chapter 14 um the Jews are literally between a rock and a hard place literally um and Paro, uh, and, and they've been, you know, they've been, the, the Medrash tells us that Paro actually sends spies out with the people. Because what did Moshe originally say? What was his original request for Paro, to Paro? Anybody remember? Mm-hmm. Three days. We're going to go for three days. We're going to have a festival and we're going to come back. Right? So three days go and the people who are traveling with them, the Egyptian spies, are like, there's no sign of them slowing down. Maybe we should go back and report this. So they go back to Paro, and Paro hears about it. He, and, and in the insanity of, of our, I mean, the insanity of, I, I, I think about it, like, it's easy to blame Paro for being insane, but we do such insane things sometimes. He's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we let them go. That was a crazy decision. And he goes and he chases, and he chases them, right? Um, so the army of Paro that's moving so quickly catches up to the Jewish people on the seventh day, right? They travel for three days. The people go back to get them for three days. And then in one day, they actually come back and they catch up. They catch up to them. And they, uh, and, and there's going to be the final showdown. There's going to be the final showdown. Um, there's going to be another one at the end of the partial, but right now they're going to, and what happens? They, and now the people start to freak out. The people are really, really freaking out. The Jewish people are there. And um, I want to say one thing. As we go into this Parsha, because it's going to happen like five times in this Parsha, when it talks about the Jewish people complaining, um, it's very easy for us to look at them and be a little smug about, oh my gosh, they complain so much, Right? Um, but one of the things that we talk about is that the only complaints that they had were the ones that are listed in Tyra. Now, they're very big complaints. They're very big, aggressive complaints, and Hashem punishes them. But in case, you know, like, if we were to think about our own day and how we sort of maneuver through our life, you know, are we always, all those little things that we fetch about, they didn't do that. They didn't do those things, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more like, we need to give them a little bit more credit than just say, oh my gosh, what a bunch of kvetchers, right? Because that's not, that's not really what's going on here. And everything that Hashem's going to push them to the wall about is going to be massive. Now, picture the situation. Picture the situation, right? The sea is in front of them. The Egyptians are behind them. There's mountains to one side and there's mountains to the other side. There's no place to go here. There's no place to go, Right? Um, and uh, they and they start crying. They start screaming to motion like there's not enough graves in Egypt. What do you take us out here for? This is you know why we should go back to Mitzrayim. The Rebbe has a very very beautiful sicha that I don't really want to get into because it's very easy to read it up in English. It talks about that essentially there were four groups of people at the banks of the at the banks of the river, um, and everybody had a different worldview about how we should tackle this problem. One said, let's go back to Egypt, give it up. One said, we're going to just, we're going to just commit suicide. One said, we're going to fight. And one said, um, we're going to just keep moving. 
We're just we're just gonna no. And the fourth thing was we're gonna just daven like hello Hashem help us right. And and the answer to all of them it's in Shlishim yesterday in the, in the third Aliyah which is chapter fourteen verse fifteen. Hashem says to them Moshe Hashem says to Moshe, what are you screaming to me? Go forward, keep moving, keep moving. And if you could just imagine, you know, Ori talked about you know Nachshon. This is like whoa Nachshon, right? Um, just imagine. Just imagine the scene, okay? Pandemonium. There are kids crying. There are people hysterical. There's like little certain little groups of people saying, oh my gosh, what should we do? What should we do? They should do this. They should do that. I can't remember, right? All of this is going on. There's a, if there's 600,000 men between the ages of 20 and 60, there's a lot of people over here. And it is hectic. And it is noisy. And everybody's probably maybe a little bit hungry. I don't know. Their feet are hurting them. They've been walking. And uh, uh, whatever. And, and they, they left something when we left the house. We left something and we forgot to pack our favorite doll or something. Or some my journal is still there. Whatever. It's like Balagan. And everybody's like, ah, chaos. And what does Nachshu do? He's like, God said, keep moving. We're going to keep moving. And he doesn't make a big noise. He doesn't make proclamations. He just starts to go into the water. And when Nachshon starts to go, his entire tribe starts to go. And they follow him. And they just go and go and go till the water comes up to their nostrils and then the water splits. The Medrash tells us that because of Nachshon's behavior, that is why the Davidic dynasty stays in the tribe of Yehuda. Why are because not yeah, Nachshon is the leader, he's the Nasi of the tribe of Yehuda. And the measure says, Why does Yehuda get to be the kings? Not because of Yehuda and Tamar, and not because of this and that and the other, because of Nachshon. Because when push came to shove, he did what had to be done, and he inspired the people around him to do it as well. And that is what you need in a leader. You don't need somebody who's going to like, let's take a poll and see what most people want to do and who's in favor of this. And th-. He's like, yalla. Now, it definitely happens if you have a Moshe saying, people, we need to go there. So like, there's a clear sense of the direction. But a leader is somebody who says, this is what has to happen. I'm going to do it. You want to follow, follow. You don't want to follow, don't follow. I'm going to do the right thing. And that's what Nachshon ends up doing. And that's why the Davidic dynasty stays in the tribe. Well, David is from Yehuda, but that's why the kings come from Yehuda. So that's, that's one thing. Now I want to say something. I want to, I want to talk about the crossing of the sea a little bit. Um, but I really I do want everybody to go find that sikh and discuss how they, all the answers go. It's, it's, I think it's in Torah studies, actually. Um, Robbie Sachs, the book is over there on the site. Oh, I think that's the sikh that he does this week. Um, right, so that's so I think it's in Torah studies, right? Or else you can find that Chabad. Like printed out, yeah. Okay, beside um, Now, a couple of fun facts about crossing the sea. Okay, um, first of all, they did not go in a straight line, right? You mean the like this? They go in a semicircle, right? They, they cross. I, they don't actually cross. They don't cross. They don't cross. They do this, okay? And they come out literally on the same place that they left. That's one thing that I want to say. Um, which means the point of crossing of the sea, which you've discussed in the Mimer, is not direction. 
it's not where you're going to go. It's what you're going to see while you're in that space of, of openness. Okay, that's one thing. The other thing which is super interesting is that the sea did not split in one lane. It was 12, it was tribes. 13. Yeah, yeah, right. There's 13, right? So there's 13 paths going around. Like okay? No, because yeah. people didn't have a tribe. Yeah. They are around. Where do they go? They go if, if there's, a, there's a path for every tribe. Right. Okay? And the Medrash has these fantastic things that happen, that the trees the right. trees sprouted, and they had fruits, and they fed it to the birds, and da-da-da. And there's a whole, there has a whole sikh where he talks about the idea of if we open up the revelation, which is what the sea is, crossing the sea is total revelation of things that you don't really see on a regular basis, then, um, then whatever is there happens very quickly. So the whole, uh, what is the ultimate purpose of creation is that every single level of creation sings Shira Tashem. That means the, the earth that has the, the potential to grow sprouts, the trees grow, the fruit there, they eat the thing, they eat the thing, like, all of, the, all of the levels, the people, the animals, the birds, everybody's involved in singing Shir Tashem. Okay, so that's... The Medrash also talks about the idea that the walls were clear, they were able to see each other. Ice, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It was, I don't know. I guess it was ice, but it doesn't... It doesn't say that it was ice. It says it was solid water, which I guess really is ice. I read from, I think, someone derived it from... The, I mean, it makes yeah. sense that solid yeah, water would be ice. Water, yeah. But... but my question to you is, and I'm not, I'm right. not this reason to see it, it would be less of a miracle for ice to stay standing than for solid, than for water right. to stay standing. So mm-hmm. the point is that the clearness, like it's, it's right. So then there's, so there's two different, no, there's two different things. There's right. the one thing of the, the water being solid, which is a whole different conversation, right. but also that place of being able to see through very, very fascinating. Right. But, um, what does it mean for us? I want to, this is, this is my take on the situation. So you do not have to buy my chalk. When I tell you things that are real, real terror, you, that, you know, whatever, you can argue with me, but I'll show you a source, but this is my own chalk. We know that in a rainbow, there are things, there are wider, wider arcs and shorter arcs, right? Um, and in life, we look at people and we're like, why is their path so short? and so smooth and so easy and why am I why do I have why does my root look like this why does it look like that um, and I want to make a plug back to trusting the process and trusting Hashem that every single person's root is exactly what it is that they need to be and it doesn't matter what somebody else's look somebody else's path looks like the question that we need to ask ourselves is am I moving forward in my space. Somebody could have a little short, you know, turn, but it might be a little bit harder to navigate the details of it. And somebody might have, you know, Tanya, long, shorter way, short, long way. All of those things are possible. And I think it is the most unhelpful thing that we could possibly do in our lives is to compare our journey to somebody else's. It's literally the most unhelpful thing we could possibly do because because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Meaning it matters if I can help you, if I could be a support for you, if I could say, oh, I tried this way and it wasn't so helpful. All of that is true. But as far as saying, but why does mine look like this? So unhelpful. Really? Not, not, not so helpful. So 
so so they, so they get across. And yesterday's Aliyah was. That far already? What? Yeah, Rupture V, you ready? Rupture V. Yeah, we keep moving. We're moving along, man. You know what's so funny? Because there's all this build up to the crossing of the sea, and then they just go, right? Mm -hmm. They go and uh, you know, and then and then and then the Jews get through, and Moshe and Hashem's like, okay, now bring down bring down the curtain, and they're staying in there, and you guys are and you guys are out, you know? Um, it's so funny, like you had you had the like the most amazing, like, I feel like I really, like, it really stuck to me the thought you said uh, last week about not seeing your brother, like, in the darkness. Right. And here, it's also not even, like, 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 the complete opposite of it. Meaning, like, the, like, it's not worded in the opposite, like, right. it's not about the uh, linguistic part of it, but just the fact that you can see everyone else. Nahum. And that, like, you're not just a separate thing, which is like, okay, we have our own thing, like... Exactly. This is our lane, this is our thing, right. and we don't see it. Right. <laughs> right, and it's, like, so, so interesting. It's, exactly, it's a, good, it's a good point. It's, like, literally the polar opposite right. of being able to, this is where I need to go, this is what I need to do, but I can still see you, and I can still wave to you, and smile to you, and, and encourage you from there. Um, so, the, so yesterday, as Aliyah was like, the water comes crashing down, and the and the Egyptians all are are uh, they all they all they all died. Different levels. Rashi talks about different levels of how depending on what they're what how they behave to the Jewish people. Um, they. What's the most interesting to me. Why? That like even the people who really like made our lives miserable. That God was like still rewarding them based on like how right. like how how bad were you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. crazy. It's God. It's not crazy. I know. No, no, no. What I'm saying, no. What I'm saying is, in the conversation of how do we behave to other people, we do we we should try to emulate it as much as possible. Now, obviously, we're not God, so we don't have all the pieces. Yeah. But yeah, to say like. These people were, were more terrible to us, so they get a worse punishment, and these people were less terrible to us, so they're going to die, but they're going to die quickly. Yeah, it's, uh... It's like... What? It's like, um, seeing now, like, terrorists, like, how some are being killed for what they're doing, and some are being put into a nice jail. Like, uh, not that, like, there yeah, are I, animals I, killing, whatever. I know it's, like, a different thing, whatever it is, but it's just so crazy that, like, even in our darkest times, we're still being, like, so moral. We're trying. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, so then in, uh, in chapter 14, verse 30 and 31 and 32, so we have the introduction to, uh, to the Azyasha that we're going to have, the, that the Hashem saved the people, it's all the Egyptians dead on the shore, and Rashi says that every single person was able to identify the person that had been their personal torturer. So that they, it wasn't, Rashi says, because they're like, oh, we got out on the other side. Maybe they also got out. And so the sea spits up all the people so they have closure and they're able to say, okay, they're not coming back. They're not going to chase me. They're not going to find me in five months, six months, a year. Like, they're gone. Um, and they see this great, and they see this amazing hand that Hashem did. Uh, to, and it's very interesting, you know, because he keeps... And the Pasa keeps saying, Asher us Hashem b'mitzrayim, that Hashem did to Egypt, not to the Egyptians, 
Hashem did it to Egypt. And there's that place where the culture is also sort of being, you know, the rug is being pulled out of the culture almost, like from under the culture to say like it's not, if whatever you thought, if you, like a lesson to the Jews almost, like if you thought there was anything there that you should be emulating, no, no. It's like Hashem did this to Egypt, not just to the Egyptians. Um, and it says, Vayaminu ba'ashem uvomaisha avdai. And they believed in they believed in Hashem and they believed in Moshe his servant. Um, and then we have Az Yashir. Now we have the 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 sheer by the way, from here, it's part of our daily davening. Um, and the Gemara says, whoever says Shira every day um, is promised to also say it in the world to come, that they're gonna be singing praises for Hashem. And I think it's such an important thing. We talk about journaling and all kinds of stuff. Can we find what I'm grateful for today? Az Yashir Maisha, like when we see, when we dive in, it's not just mumbling through words, but can we find something that I'm grateful for today? What do I want? Not just to say thank you, but what do I want to sing Shira for? I want, I want to like, it, it bursts out of me in such an incredible way. And let's just perspective for a second. The Jews had a year of incredible miracles. Incredible miracles, right? And none of those caused them to burst out in song. Not one. And that was some crazy stuff going on there. It was like insane things happening. But the Mepharshim talked about the idea that because it was something that Hashem did, it was just imposed on them, they felt less connected to it. But here, by the crossing of the sea, because they actually had to do something, they had to actually... Go. They had to step forward. They had to go into that space. There was a place where they appreciated what was happening in such a bigger manner. Like Hashem was letting us be part of the miracle. It wasn't just like boom, here's a miracle. They're dead. They're gone. Here's frogs in my little light. Right? We're not. That wasn't what was happening. That was amazing, but it didn't cause them to like say, oh, "God, you're awesome." Right, that's what Shira is. Shira is where it, it enlivens you and it makes you dance around the room and say, oh my God, I can't believe it, I can't believe it, this is so amazing, right? However, we, in whatever terminology we talk to Hashem or whatever tune we use. And, and I want to give us a bracha that we look in our lives and find things that we can sing Shira about. Because it is always possible, it is always possible to find things to complain about. It is just the nature of the beast. But can we find things that we can really say, thank you, Abishur, that was awesome. That, that was life-changing. That was amazing. Um, and, and also, I want to say, one more thing before I look at Azyashur for a second. When we do something, the Jews actually had to step into the water. They actually had to make this crossing, this passage. And I'm sure, you know, the Medrash, as beautiful as it was, I'm sure it was a little bit scary and you're not really sure what's happening. But they did something really big. They did something really big and really awesome. And when they finished, they didn't just roll into the next thing. What's our next activity? What's our next activity? What's our next activity? Right? They stopped and they celebrated they celebrated what they celebrated their accomplishment, and I think that for us, we live in a time of like, go go go! What's the next? What's the next? What's the next thing? Right? You get up the roller coaster, you're like, what's the next? We're gonna run around to the next ride. Whenever we do something, we 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 work on a skill, we work on a mida, whatever it is that we we celebrate, that we that, sorry, what whatever it is that we end up doing, and we ace for right now, even if we're gonna get better at something or we're gonna, we should take the time. 
to celebrate it. I mean, even, I'm not saying, you know, you need to go out for ice cream every time, like, you read a Pusik smoothly, which, you know, that's what you want to do, like, I'm not going to knock you, but whatever. But I think, like, we should be able to celebrate our successes um, and not just say, it was nothing. It was not nothing. It was something. It was a big deal. And let's let's celebrate it and then go, and then move on. Okay? Um, yes. Do you know anything about like how like Moshe instructed them like not to celebrate until like they were all midstream were dead? I don't okay. know about that, but but we know that it's gonna this is what's gonna happen. They're gonna cross through, they're gonna see the Egyptians, and then they're gonna sing. Yeah. I mean you just look at the lineup, that's that's sort of what happens. Um, Wait, they see the Egyptians. They were dead. Oh, that's when they started singing. And then, yeah, the end of Pasuk so Yudalid. They're, they're already out. out. They're on the, uh, it's after the sheep. Oh, yeah, Az Yashir. Yeah, no, that only happens in Prince of Egypt. <laughs> in Prince of Egypt, they sing as they're going through. But in real life, that's not what happened. They got through, and then it says that they saw, they, they, they you know, they saw the, the Egyptians, and then they sing Shira. Um, I want to point out a couple of things. I know, I want to say a couple of things about Az Yashir. First of all, in some of the Hamashim, you'll see that it's written funny, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, a, in, a Tyra, in a Sefer Tyra, it's written like that. It's, it's poetry, and it's written as a poem. So some of the, some of the Hamashim actually do reflect that. So if you've ever seen the inside of a Tyra scroll, then that's sort of how it's, it's going to be in two columns. Az is going to be written where we're so careful about all the space in a Tyra, but for Az Yashir, here and also, also for Az like, has, 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 like Oh, that's like, nice. Like, I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's reflected in the right, right. Yafet. And Hazinu also, right? also. There's two places that we have poetry in the Torah. Um, and one thing that's interesting, if you look at the words of it, one of the things that we have over here, and I'm trying to find the... Uh, I... Um, I should have written down the puzzle, but of course I didn't. There's a few times, even even uh, it talks about Zekheli van Vehu. We talk about a few times. It talks about the base Hamikdash in this poem, in this in Yashir. Talks about making a house for God. Mikdash Hashem Yedecha. Somebody wants to find it. That's a pasuk in here, but I can't find it right now because I'm trying to do two things at once and I can't skim, skim so well in Hebrew. Um, uh, uh, we'll be, it's uh, it's uh, base. It's pasuk. Oh, pasuk base. Okay, right at the beginning. I just literally skipped over that. Okay, so a few times it has this conversation of of uh, of, uh, of of a home for Hashem, and one of the things that the the Bali Musa talk about is that when we have uh, an amazing experience, when we have an amazing experience, we need to ground it in something that will make it stable and make it, and make it last for us. Because here you have these people are just coming out of Egypt. They just, you know, they just crossed the sea and they're already talking about building a house for God. Like, hello, catch your breath, do something, right? No, no, no. As soon as you're in a... <gasps> Experience, you need to say, what practical thing can I do now to make sure that that stays real with me, that I don't just lose that inspiration, that I don't just say, oh, that's over, that's done with, whatever. What can I do 
to ground that inspiration. And that's one of the things that the Bali Muslim talk about, the idea that in Az Yashir, we have conversation about building a home for Hashem. Like, now we know, spoiler, it's going to take them a while till they're able to go build a house for Hashem, right? But still, that's their first thing. Like, how do we ground this incredible experience? Um, uh, so that's, that's, uh, that's, I think, something that's very important to think about. It doesn't necessarily mean, um, and I'll give you, these are my own issues, not your issues, but it doesn't necessarily mean that every time you have like a wow experience, you're like, I got to take another mitzvah, I got to do, that, that's not necessarily what that means, but how do I hold, it could be something that I'm already doing that I want to do a little bit deeper, a little bit better, maybe it is a challenge to say something you know, to, to try to add something. It could be that I'm going to watch my language, whatever, all kinds of things. I don't have to give you examples, but it's not, I want to just say, it doesn't mean that when something, every time something amazing happens to you, you have to start doing another mitzvah. I'm just putting that out there in case that was where you thought I was going with this. I'm not. Um, the next thing that I want to talk about briefly, not really so briefly, in uh, Pasuk Chaf uh, in verse 20, Vatikach Miriam Hanaviyah Chais Aaron Esatayf Biyada, that Miriam the prophetess took, the sister of Aaron took her instruments in her hands, and all the women went after her, with, with uh, instruments, I don't know exactly which instruments they are, probably some conversion of drums and wind instruments would be my, my guess if I had to figure that out. And Miriam uh, does a very, very short shear with them, it's, if the men's shear was very, very, very long, Miriam's shear is one line. Um, that's her whole shira. But what's very interesting, what's very interesting is that the Haftorah of this week is the shear of Devorah. And we know that the Haftorah always highlights what's the most important part of the Parsha. Right? So when we say, what was the most important thing when the Chachamim looked at this Parsha and they said, what in the prophets mirrors this behavior? They said it was the shear of the women. Not necessarily the shear of the men, but the shear of the women. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they talk about is that the women had instruments. The men were shocked into song. Oh my gosh, that was amazing! Did you see that? Woo! We're going to sing. The women came prepared. They said, we have suffered so much. There's no way there's not amazing things happening. We don't know what it's going to look like, and we don't know when it's going to come. But we know it's going to happen, and we know we're going to want to thank Hashem in the most beautiful way. And that place of preparedness of the women is where the Chacham say, that's, you want to look towards the Gula? That's what we need to do. We need to know and to anticipate this goal, this is my editing on the on the stages. Our gullus has been so long and so hard. And instead of us giving up and saying, throw in the towel, or saying, or being shocked and saying, like, amazing things are gonna happen, and we're gonna like say, like, oh my gosh, this was amazing. Blessing Shira. Let's be ready. Let's be ready to thank Hashem. We know it's coming. We know the Gu'ul is coming. We know amazing things are coming. Let's be ready. Let's, we, we might be shocked into what we say, but let's not be shocked that we're going to want to say it. Shana. I just wanted to share that um, uh, one of the things my mom, because you said you didn't know what instruments, it has a little drawing here, but my mom always talked about how we have a tambourine in our house and she was gifted it um, on her wedding day. 
And she says that like when Mashiach comes, like she's like ready. Yeah, we we did we have tambourines hanging around. Also, we did we did a tambourine painting thing, and I and at that time I said we have a mistake because really we need to have little tambourines. This is my my thought. We have little tambourines that will fit into our coat pockets or into our bag. My mother had one that was like uh, it was like a little change purse, like you know multi purpose uh, like. Right? It's like, it's like being, you know, the reverse. It's like being allergic and having your EpiPen at home. Like, how does that help, right? Like, Mashiach's going to come. We need to have our instruments with us. I don't, I don't, right? Um, so I think we should all, like, you know, find some kind of little instrument to keep in our bag and be ready to, you know. I mean, I say that as a super non-musical person. I appreciate music. I'm not at all musical, but whatever. We'll figure the it out. times that we're not at home? Yeah, yeah. What happens when you? I know you're. There's some hanging right at the door. Like, yeah, yeah we're going out, right? We have some over here. I think these were. Not, we have some over here. Like, but but like, we got to be ready. We got to think about this, people. Like, you know, we don't want to be shocked. We don't want to be shocked. That's where when uh, he was said, oh, there are a couple of like graffiti like uh, broken of the and that we say when Moshe is gone, we're like, we got to start working on these. We gotta, no, we got to really like mark them off right now, like. Yeah, I I know a lot of people who have in their in their wallets. How many people actually have a wallet? Uh, but I I do know people who have in their wallets. And if anybody wants, I can find it for you. The brachas that you make when Mashiach right. comes. We also um, keep them. When there's like a special bracha that you make and a shachianu and some other stuff. Then it's like. They have it on cards. Like yeah, yeah, we did. They they I've, I've definitely seen them for sure. Printed stuff, you know. Keep it, keep it handy. Like it's like those, you know, those brachas you don't make often, so you don't remember them. Like, okay, this is we're going to be a once in a lifetime bracha. We gotta or have it, have an app on your phone, like a picture, a screenshot, saved it. Like, yeah, I don't know what we're gonna do, right? We should yeah. do that. Um, okay, so then, so that's the shira, and really, I, I also want to. This is this is something that I've been like thinking about. Is that part of shira? Part of shira is is. I mean, here, Shirat Hashem is acknowledging the goodness that Hashem has given us. But I think, I, I also want to, I'm, I'm saying this to you, and anybody can check me up next week, because this is something that's been on my mind that I really want to take care of this week. Um, the, I have, there's somebody that I actually want to reach out to and thank her for something that she taught me that's been impacting my life for the last almost 20 years. And I want to give us a, a challenge and a plug to say, is there somebody who who you want to say thank you to for something that they've done to you and something that they've impacted you, um, it's a good time. This, this whole Shabbos, this upcoming Shabbos is called Shabbos Shira, which we're going to, we're going to discuss in a second. Um, we have, because we have the Shira, the Zyashira and the Shira of the women, and there's another Shira that's going on over here. Um, so it's called Shabbos Shira. It's a great time to say thank you to somebody who you think uh, would, hasn't heard that from you. Okay, now, so the people leave, and we're not getting, there's more stuff we're not getting into. In case you're wondering if we're leaving out a bunch of things, we're leaving out a bunch of things. Um, uh, we have, Moshe basically has to pull the people away from the, from the water, from the banks of, of the Sea of Reeds. Um, and that goes back to the conversation of uh, what they're taking, right? There was, the, they had all these horses that were all decorated, and there was all this gold and silver that they were trying to get. Um, and we know, and we, I don't know if we mentioned it last week, but I want to mention it again. When we talk about the Jews emptying Egypt, we mentioned it briefly, is that the gold and silver, besides being physical gold and silver, was also sparks of holiness that they were taking out and, 
and a fear of Hashem and love of Hashem. Um, so when they're at the sea and they see all the stuff there, they're like, we need to take this with us. We're going to, it's not just, oh, we need more money, because at that point, everybody had more money they could spend in five lifetimes. But uh, there, there are sparks of holiness that are waiting in this, in this stuff that if we leave it here, it's never going to get elevated. And how terrible would that be for Hashem? So Moshe, he's like, yeah, people, Sinai, we're, we're, we're headed off to, we got places to go and people to meet. So let's go, keep moving. Um, and, uh, and the Pusuk tells us like very calmly, I think there's like all these dramatic things that the Pusuk just gives us very calmly, right? It says in verse 22, they went for three days in the desert, and they didn't find water. Can we pause on that for a second? <laughs> That's, anybody here camp? I don't like camping, but I'm sure we have amongst us people who like to camp. Three, no, not here. three days with no water? This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and the next passage tells, Vayavo Marasa, they came to Mara, this place called Mara. They couldn't drink the water in Mara because the water was, because it was bitter. Um, and that's why the place is called Mara. So they complain to Moshe and they say, what should we drink? Now, one of the things that we have to understand about, and this is what I started talking about, the Jews complaining in the desert. There are things that are not so legitimate to complain about. And there are things that are very legitimate to complain about. Okay? Three days in the desert with no water. It's not like you're in your bed with Netflix and you have, you're not drinking anything, right? That's not what this is. Three days in the desert with no water. That's major. That's a big deal. So the question is, what was Hashem waiting for? What was Hashem waiting for? And what were the people waiting for? Meaning, did the people think Oh, hmm, God forgot something. <coughs> did, did they think God took them out of Egypt and, oops, they're humans and they're going to need water? Like, did he forget that part? Was that their attitude towards Hashem? Or what was Hashem asking them to do? Can you be in this space of beyond incredible challenge and still ask nicely? Could you say, could you instead, it is, I want to just say, when we say they complain, it is very, very legitimate to be nervous after three days, not one, not two, three days with your children, with your animals, within the desert, with no water, this pushes a person to the end. What Hashem said was, but could you ask nicely? Could you trust that I have a plan could you hold your breath and say, what's this going to look like? Now, one of, you know, the, the Jewish fatal flaw, which we're going to see over and over and over again, is that we are so impatient. We want things to happen on our time frame. We want it to happen when we're ready for it. Right now, we want it. Yalla, let's do it. Now, again, I'm not discrediting the people. Three days, what do we say? Two to three million people, animals, children, no water. It is legitimate. But they had two options. They had three options. The one that they chose was to complain. The one that they didn't choose, of what they didn't choose, they could have either <coughs> waited, did they think God forgot about them, or if somebody needed to speak up, or if we needed to speak up, how do you do it? How do you do it? Do you say, 
Marisha, maybe, do you want to, like, see if there's, like, a rest stop up ahead or something like that? Like, when you come and you, the expression that we complained to Marisha, and they said, you know, what, what are we going to do? We're going to die. You know, they say it uh, different times. What? We're not being asked for that kind of challenge. We're not being asked to pass that kind of test. We're really not. <laughs> we would fail in a heartbeat. <laughs> like, not even a question. I don't know about you. We would fail in a heartbeat, right? But the question that we need to ask ourselves, because why is Tyra telling us this? Why is Tyra telling this to us? Because when we have things in our lives that don't quite go the way we thought they were going to go, and we think it should be different, how do we voice our case? How do we say, hum, this wasn't what I was thinking about. This wasn't the plan. Do we say, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Everything's so terrible. My life is horrible. Or do we say, what do I need to do to make this happen? Who do I need to speak to? What do I, do I need to dive in? Do I need to move? Do I need to go? Where, how do we respond? Because Hashem didn't forget about us. Just like Hashem didn't forget, and it's easy for us to look at them and say, what do you think, God forgot about you? Of course he didn't remember you. You didn't take it out of the desert and say, oops, forgot they need water. But in our own lives, can we hold that space? Can we hold that space and say, God did not forget about me. He did not forget about my challenges. They might not be as monumental as three days in the desert with, in the desert with no water, but God did not forget about me and what I'm going through. And now how do I phrase my request to Hashem to say, please help. Please help me. I'm relying on you. Only you can help me. Only you can get me out of this challenge. How do we phrase our request? Are we arrogant and aggressive and obnoxious? Or are we humble and we say, Abishter, it would be really sweet if you could show us your plan because I'm out of options. And, and I want to give us a bracha. It's easy to sit in the comfort of our room and say, of course I would be able to pull it together and talk like a mensch. But can we really do it when we're tired and hungry and everything's going wrong and our luggage got lost and all those pieces, can we, can we there in that space come to Hashem and say, Abishter, please, please. Um... Okay. Just one interesting thing. I want to say that Rabbi Tversky uh, says it often. Um, if you look at the Hebrew in Pasuk Kapimel, in verse 23, it says that they couldn't drink the water because they were bitter. Because they were bitter. And what, is, and what does Rabbi Tversky say? That, 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 that pronoun is kind of ambiguous. The first look is that the water was bitter. But Rabbi Kursky was like, they, the people, were bitter. They were bitter, and therefore everything that they encountered was equally bitter and, and, and un, unpalatable. So I thought that's really a really cool thing. I love that. Tyra, and even though I've shared it before, I want to share it again. Um, okay. Okay, they're going to be... <laughs> okay, we have... Okay, it... Um, uh, so then, we, then they come place and they, 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 they travel from there and they go to a place that has uh, 12 uh, things of water and date trees and they have like a rest stop over there in the desert. 
an oasis, as we call it. Um, and then they start complaining because they don't have food. And what's very interesting is that they basically are going to ask for two different things. They're going to ask for uh, meat, and they'll say they have no food. Parenthetically, anybody know how long into their journey they are? It's a month. They're a month into their... In case you want to know why when we go on trips, we take a crazy amount of food because we could, you know, you never know. We come by it honestly. The Jews leave Egypt for a three-day trip. Sounds like Gilgan's Island, right? They go for a three-day trip and they had food for 61 meals. Two meals a day for 30 days. Just saying. We come by it on. We come by it on. In case anybody in your bag has a random granola bar, some almonds, or some kind of other non-perishable thing that's always in your bag. This is where we get that. This is where we get it from. You get it honestly. You get it honestly because you never know. You never know. Um, uh, so basically, this partial we're going to hear about getting the mun. Okay? And we also they're also going to get slow. They're going to get a meat. And one Hashem, the, the mun Hashem is going to be pleased with that request and how they need if they need it and the meat less so. Um, the first laws about Shabbos they're going to get this in connection to the man. Um, and one of the things that they're going to learn about Shabbos is uh, we know that the man was the man was something that they ate every single day. They got every single day, and they were not allowed to save any of it for the next day. Um, and the Gemara says that the Torah was only given or was only able to be given to the people that ate the man. And, um, you know, my husband is a child of survivors. You could never say in his house there was no food. You couldn't. There might not be food that you like. There might be food that you had to cook. Do not say there is no food in this house because they, his parents actually knew what it was like to have no food in the house. The Jewish people in the desert had no food in the house. They got mun every day, and they only had one day's worth, except on Friday when they got a double portion, and they had it for Shabbos. There was nothing to nash on. There was nothing, that security that you have it someplace, it did not exist. And that place of having to be so humble and so trusting in Hashem, to have to live such a life. Not only that, one more interesting thing about the man is, you know, we always say like, if you're on a diet, don't weigh yourself, don't weigh yourself every day. But the man was like a a spiritual check-in every single day because it tells us that somebody who is truly righteous got it prepared at their door. If they were not a little bit, you know, Bainity, probably not a Tanya Bainity, it was a little further away and prepared. And if they were in Russia, it was out in the fields and they had to grind it and prepare it. Every single day, first of all, interesting, you knew which was your mom, right? You knew which was your portion. Every single day, you knew a checkup. How, is, how are you with God? Is it on my doorstep? Is it a foot away? Do I have to go find it in the next, you know, the, the, the camp of the Jewish people was very big. It's 12 miles wide. Like, Every single day, that's really hard. I, I was going to say harsh, but it's not harsh. It's really hard to know, how am I doing? I thought I did well yesterday. Eh, you didn't. Or yeah, you didn't think you did so well and you did. That's, 
that level of faith and commitment to Hashem to follow Him, and it doesn't get easier, the fact that it happened every day for 40 years. It doesn't make it easier. Every single day, you know, just picture that. Sun comes up, take a deep breath and say, okay, let's go find the food. Where is it going to be? Is it going to be? Is it going to show up? Where am I going to find it? That has got to be so hard. So, so, so hard. So for all the nice fringe benefits that the mun had, that it, it tasted like everything, whatever, that reality of living with mun was a very, 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 very hard reality. Um, and, the, and the people, again, back to the people and their complaining, for all their complaining, they could live that reality. They could live the reality of mun, of every day, take your pulse, where am I in my relationship with Hashem? Every single day to say, okay, it's probably going to be here, but let's go make sure it is. And go to sleep at night with nothing in the house, with nothing. Now, maybe we have a harder time with that because we're so, you know, we're such physical people and whatever. I can't imagine that emotionally it would get easier to literally go to sleep with nothing in your house. Like, it, it's got to be, it's got to be really hard. But to have that level of trust and faith in Hashem, unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, guess what? We didn't finish the Parsha. There's two things I just want to mention briefly. We have uh, people run out of water and we end up having Hashem telling Moshe to go strike the rock and having water come. That's going to be, the water's going to come in the merit of Miriam. They're going to have it for the next 40 years. A rolling, a rolling, uh, a rolling uh, well is going to go with them. Mm-hmm. Parenthetically, that water is also used as the mikvah. Women use that water for mikvah. Um, and, um, and, we have the, and we have the war with the Amalek. Okay? Lots of things that we didn't discuss. Um, but I think we covered some stuff. And I think we covered some important stuff. One more thing I want to say. Uh, in the connection to Shabashira, um, it, the Torah tells me in the, in the conversation of Mun that some people went out on Shabbos and they didn't find any Mun. After Moshe told them they wouldn't find any. And uh, Rashi and the Medrash <coughs> fill in the blanks that Dustin and Aviram, we've heard them before, we're going to meet them again. They're, they tried saving the, the Mun the first time and it got wormy. It got wormy. Um, and, uh, but Shabbos, score one, we're going to show that Moshe's a liar. So they took their Mun, they took it out into the fields, they spread it out in the fields. And in the morning they said, Moshe's a liar, look, there's, look, there's Mun in the fields. And while they went from dropping off their mun in the field to, get, to gathering the people, the birds all came. The measure says the birds all came and ate the mun. Mm. And as a thank you to the birds on Shabbos, on Shabbos Shira, we put food out for them. Because in most parts of the world, it's actually very, very cold. And it's hard for them to find food. So we actually leave food out for the birds to say thank you for what they did to, um, to make Moshe not look like a liar. Um, what? Well, that's no mun. So mun in general, it's interesting. There's a whole conversation about mun, about uh, if you get lost in a desert or someplace and you don't know what parsha it is, you should you should say the yeah. parsha. You should learn the parsha of the mun on Shabbos. There's a whole connection between Shabbos and mun, which we didn't get into shockingly, but true. Um, and all the, but I want to just say also, Malki, one of the biggest schoolers for Parnassa is yes. to get a job. Well, just saying. <laughs> I, it's just, I just want to say, you know, yeah. is to get a job. Anyway, 
I want to give us a bracha. I want to give us a bracha that this is the week that we actually really get out of Egypt. And one of the things that we didn't talk about is we, we didn't talk about Amalek. Um, sometimes when we actually cross the sea, then we have Amalek who shows up and is like, eh, big deal, big deal. So I want to give us a bracha, A, that we cross our sea, that we see what we personally are challenged by and it's personally holding us back. And to be able to acknowledge the goodness and acknowledge the, the gratitude that we have in that space. And if, as is often the case, somebody then comes to you and is like, eh, not such a big deal, it's okay, what are you so excited about? We should understand that that is our final test. And to look it in the face and say, have a great day. It's, you know, your opinion is nice and wonderful, but it's not going to affect how I feel about what I'm doing. Um, and that we should really, really, really finally get our Get Out of Dallas ticket, tickets already and to be able to, we are ready, more than ready to sing Shir to Hashem. And he should just give us the opportunity. In the meantime, we'll practice, we'll practice our gratitude and the Abishur is going to give us the most amazing opportunity to sing Shira. So get ready, ladies. It's coming. Mm-hmm.